In this episode on the Therapy Dogs Australia podcast, we got to sit down with the lovely Ash Montgomery from Golden Thread Therapy. Ash offers people-centered counseling alongside Beanie, her divine therapy dog. Ash and Beanie did their training with Therapy Dogs Australia, so we took a deep dive into discussing the unexpected challenges and lessons learned working as a therapy dog and handler team. You won't want to miss this one, so let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode with Therapy Dogs Australia. Today, we have the lovely Ash Montgomery and Sam King. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Ash, how about we start with you just introducing yourself um, for the listeners? Of course. Um, So I'm Ash. I work from Ash Grove in Brisbane. There's a lot of ashes involved here, aren't there? Um, Um, my business is called Golden Thread Therapy and I work with um, my little golden retriever border collie mix. Well, she's asleep right now, but um, uh, therapy dog Beanie. So the name's obviously a bit of a play on her golden retriever side, but also about, you know, the golden thread that sort of runs through every human and what is meaningful to them and what, yeah. Oh, know, it's beautiful. Their values directed stuff, yeah. That is so cool. Really, really cool. And and how long? So you've been working um, with Beanie for a year? <laughs> yes. I'm just yes. laughing because I can hear her wriggling around in the back. Oh, here. She- um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Beanie and I literally, it was so sweet last year um, in July, I think it was, she became a qualified therapy dog the day that I became a registered counsellor, which is so cute. <laughs> so much to celebrate. Yeah. We must have been... timed that perfectly. I know. It was such I must have timing. known. I know. So strange. It was definitely a bigger deal for me that she got qualified that day because, you know, I kind of had the degree down by that point. But, um, yeah, so we've both been around for the same time within this space, um, yeah, almost a year. Learning together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And um, who do you work with, like your client base? Who do you mainly um, work with? So I work with adults. Um, so, well, actually, I've got some older teenagers as well, um, but mainly adults um, and mainly just different life things, relationship things, transitional stuff, identity stuff. Um, and then also different mental illnesses like depression and anxiety and working within collaborative teams on some other more severe things as well. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And how has that journey been with Beanie in particular? Like, how, I mean, obviously Beanie's been learning on the job with you in a lot of ways. What's her sort of like role usually? Oh, I feel like I could talk about this for so long. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> She just does so many different things. Like sometimes I feel like she's working harder than I am, which is really lovely. But then also there's times where she sleeps for like 20 minutes and I'm like, no, I'm pulling half the way here. That's that's good. Um, (laughs) But she just creates such a lovely environment for people. And the more that I work with her, the more I realise how important that environment is in terms of people feeling safe, welcome, welcome. Yeah, so many things. The way that she greets people is so sweet Um, and just it always starts on such a warm level and then 
throughout the session, there's just so many different dynamics that she'll bring to the table, whether it be um, providing people with that stress relief. You know, that's obviously, I mean, I learned from my clinical training with Therapy Dogs Australia that there's all these amazing stress relief impacts that dogs have, which I think a lot of us probably don't believe in anyway. Um, but she, you know, I'll watch people get quite tense talking about hard things, obviously, because that's a big part of therapy. And mm-hmm. I'll watch people just put their hand on her head and just be gently patting her and I'll, and it's so grounding for them. Um, or even it kind of gives a bit of agency back to clients as well to direct their sessions with me rather than just me taking them through things because they mm. will self-regulate sometimes. So sometimes they'll be talking about something really difficult, you know, getting a bit of regulation from being with Beanie on the couch. Um, and she's just right there. So it's an, a really easy way for them to sort of like break the tension when they need to. Oh, um, mm. <laughs> <and laughs> she's just jumped up on the couch behind Ash. We can yeah. all see each other. <laughs> yeah. Very cozy over there. Um yeah, it's just so so lovely watching that happen. Um, they'll sort of look at her and laugh about something that she's doing, or and like we just did. Regulation <laughs> they need. Exactly, yeah. Which is great just, icebreaker as well. Definitely, yeah. So I feel like the bonding at the start of the therapy alliance is a lot faster, um, mm-hmm. but in an ethical way, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just all of those different ups and downs within sessions and. I've had some people just outright say to me that there's no way they could have worked through some things if Beanie mm. wasn't there and they will mm-hmm. literally, like if she ever can't be around, um, they will not talk about certain things because wow. she's yeah. such a grounding presence for them. Yeah. Oh, that's really wonderful. That's and it's so wonderful cool. that you have started that journey together at the same time as well. Like totally. just a team from the start. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that we've um, learned uh, about, you know, the, from the, I think in the, it might be in the ATL code of conduct around, you know, working within your scope and trying to, trying to be, you know, pretty proficient with your tools as a professional before you move into animal assisted therapy, which can be like definitely ideal in lots of scenarios, but I worked with Sunny throughout my provisional pathway as a psychologist as well, which was, you know, over 10 years ago now. So we didn't have a code of conduct or anything back then, but it's, it was, it was such a, um, yeah, eye-opening journey for me, but it's hard for me to compare like what was it like without him? Because I only worked without him for like a year as a provisional. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had him with me and I've mm-hmm. had, uh, I I worked part-time, obviously, animal assisted therapy with him initially because I only have one dog at the time, but it didn't take me long to get a second dog trained. So from very early career, I've been doing animal assisted psychology and it's, very hard for me to compare to what it would be like without having them there apart from like there are days when obviously you know the dogs can't be there for whatever reason um but I honestly couldn't really tell you like (laughs) I was never a psychologist without a dog really like for such a short period of time but I can definitely um 
see the benefits that I see. And I definitely from talking to other psychologists that haven't worked with animals definitely can see, you know, like a lot of things for me have been um, a lot of an easier journey. <laughs> so you sound like you're what in a bit of a similar situation. Mm, what yeah, what sort of things have been easier? Yeah, in particular. Yeah, so um, things like your KPIs, like some practices keep KPIs, which is like your retention rate basically is how they do it in the therapy industry because um, it's like, you know, to be able to be effective as a therapist, you need to be able to maintain engagement with the client so they keep coming back for more sessions mm-hmm. because otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, the treatment's not complete really. Um, and it's, it's like, you know, a lot of places you'll hear saying like, it's the most important thing is that you're able to engage your clients and, and build that rapport and, and keep that engagement going throughout the, the treatment protocol, basically. Um, my KPIs for retention were smashing mm-hmm. every other psycho like senior Amazing. psychologists in the clinic that I was in. I remember they gave us our KPIs one day and mine was my average session thing was like seven point something and everyone else's was really low like two point something oh whoa yeah wow and i was a prov psych and it was like should i just like immediately leave because now everyone hates me like <laughs> and so not only was like you know that satisfaction of like you know i'm probably doing a pretty good job like I knew it was the dog but but also like my employer at the time is obviously happy with you and of course yeah and I think there was some you know between the colleagues it was probably a little bit like oh this chick like <laughs> making us look like fools but <laughs> this, their numbers were very stable across each other like everyone else who mm. didn't have a dog like their numbers were very very similar and, but it just highlighted like, you know, and then from there, like, I mean, far out from people that worked there, I, we must've trained another since starting Therapy Dogs Australia, like three or four of their dogs from that workplace. So, you know, like it was obviously um, a cool exercise for people to see, but even that type of thing, like being early career and being, um, yeah, so quote unquote, successful in that regard like it's just less stressful for you because you have so much Mm. stress early career you're we get this thing called imposter bias where it's like or imposter syndrome where it's like you just feel like you don't know anything and Mm -hmm. all this knowledge that you have as a therapist becomes quite implicit a lot of it so because you're pulling from all these different toolkits and it feels like you're making stuff up when you're talking to people and you're like, am I making all this up? Like, <laughs> I feel <laughs> like I've made everything up because you've just got all these like, um, you know, impl- tools that become quite implicit. And as an early career therapist, it is very, very common to be really second guessing yourself quite a lot. Um, and, you know, to have like any feedback that you're doing a good job is so, so important early on because your confidence mm. is a big part of being able to be able to be a therapist. If you don't have, if you mm. can't support yourself in the space, it's really hard to support someone else. 
So any opportunity that you have to be supported, which is why early careers have so much more, um, like provs have heaps of supervision and, you know, like we look after our early career guys. They should, should be, I definitely at poor, we definitely do, but it should be looked after really, really closely um, Mm -hmm. because it's actually very hard. Mm -hmm. Has that been similar to your experience, Ash? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting what you're saying there, Sam, about um, even considering the impact that these dogs are having on us as therapists in the room as well and how so much of what we're doing is fueled by our sense of being grounded or like confident about what you're doing, you know, because no one's going to feel relaxed if the person who's meant to be driving it is all over the place. And, um, and so that impact as well, like there's just so many different things that they have influence on and it's so amazing. Yeah. Even if that was the only thing that they did. For both of you. Mm. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. There for yeah. both of you. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Ash? Have you found, what in particular have you found um, helpful with Beanie in your sessions? Um, definitely, like, you know, it's obviously a friend of mine because we were just talking about with how she helps to ground and regulate me as well. Um, mm-hmm. Even like, you know, I'm I'm lucky to be very well supported with, professionals that I check in with regularly but I'm here alone so like even just having her to um you know go outside and have a little walk with like she's amazing for my well-being as well and um but with clients um another thing that I've noticed that is so lovely is and I know that it's sort of you know some therapists are okay with like giving their clients a hug or something I don't fall on that side I'm on very much like (laughs) you know clinical let's protect those boundaries all of that stuff but you know the dogs can do that ethically and how amazing is that you know just that layer there of um providing another sort of sense of support and being held and yeah it's just it's so cool there's just like so many little things say I feel like I um should have done a few sessions and like noted all of these little dot points like all these tiny little nuances as they're happening but there's just so many moments in my day that I'm like oh how nice like that would not have gone as smoothly or you know um and even the moments that don't go smoothly like when I first started with Beanie I was terrified of the um the weird things or like she's had a day in here once she like vomited in a session for <laughs> ate some weird grass. Um, you know, and I at first I was like so freaked out about the variables that come with having a dog in the room, even though she's, you know, trained and lovely and does, you know, listens and all that stuff. But even those things are like really good for um the therapeutic alliance. It strengthens it because you laugh together and um I guess there's just those moments it's of forgiving people. it's forgiving and it's it kind of yeah. adds it adds so much humanity to the experience without making it without blurring boundaries yeah that's so mm. funny that you just use that word because I was literally just thinking when stuff like that happens it feels like it really just humanizes you as a therapist mm. and it breaks down those boundaries and barriers of like what you're People, clients think that therapists have like completely got their shit together and that couldn't be further from the truth. Couldn't yeah. be further We're from all the human. truth. <laughs> Mate. Everyone's human. <laughs> We're all on a journey. Yep. 
So um, I find that, you know, like it really helps to go like, oh, that's just a person like that's cleaning up dog vomit. Like I can mm. feel so much more comfortable in this space because I have a dog and it vomits, you know, and like Ash is saying, like we don't have to, I don't have to talk about all of the areas of my life that I'm on a journey with and that I, <laughs> you know, like the, th the struggles and challenges that I'm having because that would be inappropriate for me to discuss those kinds of um, challenges and things like that with a client who's got their own burdens thing and that they've brought here for us to work through. It's not, sometimes self-disclosure can be really useful. Don't get me wrong. Like, um, but if you're actively going through something as a therapist, I would say those are the things that you're not going to disclose because mm -hmm. they are still a burden mm. um, and you don't want to put that into the space with your client. Um, but when the dog stuff happens, it's like, this isn't anyone's, is no emotional burden or anything like here to, that we're using to humanize us. It's literally like the dogs just do it, just being a dog and people can so easily relate to like, oh my goodness, they're like, they just farted in their sleep or, you know, like something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a handful of times in his life where Sonny has done an audible fart and like, <laughs> like woken himself up and like he's like turned and looked at his bum and I'm like, what? Check me out. <laughs> this is hilarious what's happening right now. <laughs> and he's like, what was that? <laughs> uh, I'd say like five times in his life. Like it's just hilarious. But. Oh, yeah, like I said, I think it's like funny that you use that word because I definitely find that it really helps. And we're also doing quite a lot of modeling in that space too. So when we, um, what's actually really important for animal assisted therapists to understand is that the way that you're interacting with your dog mm -hmm. in the space, you are modeling yourself as a human being to your client. So you need to be aware of that. And if your dog vomits on the ground and then you panic and get all flustered and all those things you're modeling that mm. coping strategy to your client who now will be seeing you as someone who they don't potentially want to fluster or someone that they feel can't handle them um and all this crazy shit they're gonna tell you like <laughs> Yeah, it's true, can, yeah. can you hold the space for them if you can't hold the space for a dog that's just vomited on the carpet do you know mm. what I mean? It's mm -hmm. really important to keep that in mind because, and we're all people and we're all humans and we all have moments and make mistakes and stuff, but I would be uh, very um, moved to reflect on that in this space if I was a therapist and I felt like that didn't, I didn't handle that that well. I would probably talk through like, oh, I just got quite flustered then. Like, oh, I'm just going to do it, take a few breaths and it's only vomit. Like, oh, okay, cool. What were we talking about? You know, like that kind of modeling as well to keep in, you know, just being really self-aware, I think is going to be important if we are having a, a bit of a wobbly moment. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Have there been um, any, because like, you've been working now, um, Ash, with Beanie for a year, how long did it sort of take for you to really feel settled in as a team? Mm. 
It's a really good question. Obviously, there would have been a few little hiccups and, you know. Um, we moved to this space in early February and it's a much bigger office than I was working out of previously. Um, and also just sort of the variables of this building work really well for Beanie and she's been very, very settled since then. Like um, I think it like probably took us just she she loved being here as soon as we got here and then they're sort of adding in those different like she's um really really good with her when we make a boundary it's one of the things that she's just like quite effortless with I think it's because she gets the immediate reward of like going through it you know how there's other things that there's not like this <laughs> yeah. immediate reward attached um <laughs> but so just sort of setting up those little things about like this is that space you know this is um there's a like Pilates studio downstairs. So just being like, oh, yeah, wait, I know that you want to run down and see everyone, but we're just going to stay up here, you know, things like that. Oh, um, and once we sort of worked out those physical things here, um, she just got so relaxed and um, just really settled into the, the space really well. Um, yeah. Oh, wonderful. So it was really environmental that helped yeah, you definitely. both settle in together. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's, it's always going to be a bit of that, um, you know, there's obviously we have such an impact on the dogs as their handlers as well. So when I was feeling more settled into the space and, you know, focusing on my well-being and stuff like there's that direct correlation there of um, mm. she's really settling too and feeling really happy. So probably a bit of a yin-yang sort of thing there. Yeah. Do you think, Ash, that, you know, when you took her into the first environment that you are in before you had this space, do you think that getting this opportunity to start fresh in a new space, new space her has made a difference, you know, like as opposed to taking her into the first place that you work together is that, you know, cause I know that people can get quite a bit of like anxiety, bringing the dog into the space initially when they first mm. start working with them. And I wonder, you know, does that, cause I changed spaces a lot um, by the time I got to my office that I'm in now, I was a pretty confident animal assisted therapist. So and dog handler. So, um, I think I was able to set that space up a, like I was able to set it up for the dog's wellbeing. So I built really big rooms in my clinic. Um, mm -hmm. whereas I could have put like six rooms in and had normal little psychologist rooms, but I've got three really big animal assisted therapy rooms, which cuts your profit obviously immediately in half. Um, but you know, did you find that? Like, did you find, was it easier going into the next space after you'd already had a little bit of experience somewhere else? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's a lot of different factors involved there. There's sort of fewer variables here upstairs. It's like a really quiet environment and there's other offices here, but I genuinely don't even know when everyone else is working. Like I barely see people. It's very relaxed and very quiet. Um, and so I think that really helped that there wasn't a lot else happening right outside our door. Mm. But then also, um, like you mentioned, Sam, where you, you're building up your skills in these different places. And so I think naturally just having a few months under my belt of working with her and then coming in as that confident handler setting everything up so intentionally for a dog and also specifically for Beanie um, mm. and bringing that confidence in from the start with that intention was probably really helpful too. Yeah. yeah and when you say cool. specifically for Beanie, talking about the boundaries that um, you, you mentioned before, specifically for Beanie. 
yeah 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 or even just like her big um which I don't think you can see but like her big fluffy bed and just um the way that I know she likes to I mean I Sam you would have educated us within the the training about like sort of different stations that the dogs can have in these mm-hmm. bigger spaces yeah um which is so good isn't it because then it takes so much pressure off you in the session to be like regulating a dog that's not really super relaxed and comfortable as well as doing therapy like I don't really need to do any of that it's like a random day every now and then where the stars align weirdly or something where that's more <laughs> of a thing but um just sort of being really like getting quite a big couch where I can put her bed um which kind of takes up about half of that couch even though it's like quite you know you can fit three or four people on there um and so that she can sort of rest with the client or even yeah. behind me I've got my therapy chair and then I've got like an ottoman next to it and you know I'll put the bed up on that ottoman and usually she's quite settled there as well which means that I can pat her while I'm she can kind of choose to be right by me getting sort of just me subconsciously patting her sessions or with the client or um you know walking around anywhere else basically so just those things I know that she really loves just being patted gently as we're chatting so things like that yeah oh yeah lovely yeah we do talk about that quite a bit in the course because it really does like you know any any therapeutic environment should be set up you know with all those sorts of things in mind like for the client's experience of that environment there's nothing that frustrates me more than finding out you know whether it's government spaces or whatever that is not conducive to what we know is you know a creates nice environments for clients to be in it just makes everything harder therapy is hard enough let's make it as easy as possible every opportunity that we get and things like setting up spaces is one way to do that adding a dog into a space is another way to do that for a large group of clients not every client obviously um wants to be around dogs uh at all let alone in a therapy session so you know but absolutely if anyone's thinking of how they're going to set up an office or something an office space or something like that yeah big couches are a must like there must be enough room for the dog to comfortably get up on the couch um because the clients really really they seek that out don't they Mm, definitely yeah and she's not a tiny tiny dog so you do really need a big big space there Absolutely. And I find like I work with kids, so we leave quite a lot of floor space in our rooms um, because we sit on the floor a lot with the dogs as well. We play games and we do also um, they want to play fetch and stuff like that with the dogs as well. So, you know, things like your office space set up are really important. The other thing to take away as well that I forgot to say before is that um, anyone who hasn't done any training or assessment with their dog and they're already taking them into a workplace, just going back to what Ash was saying about even after she'd done her training and her dog was graduated, the first space that she went into was not, it's not as good as your second go in your second space. And that's as a graduated handler with all the information so please be aware that if you haven't done any education yet, don't take your dog. <laughs> don't take your dog. I know it sounds easy and, you know, we've got all these tips and tricks and things, but your um, 
yeah, just wait and just, just wait and get that confidence up because it really does make such a huge difference. And you're listening to Ash talking about that, even just going from the first workplace to the second workplace. There's also just so many little things that you wouldn't know if you haven't done the training, Mm. things that you wouldn't even think about. I imagine Ash, like (laughs) you, yeah, you're nodding. (laughs) I'm like terrified thinking about that. I just can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. All these little details that, um, you can't think off the top of your head. You know, you've got to learn from experience. And you need to understand why. Like we need when we do the training, we talk about why. Like we're just mentioning a few things now, but we're not going into the research and talking about the why. That's what we do during the courses. Um, but understanding the why is what helps you then generalize that information to new and different situations. If you're just rote learning by copying what someone else is doing and not understanding why they're doing that, then in a new and different situation, there's every chance that you're going to get that wrong. You might get it right, but there's every chance you're going to get that wrong. And if you're not understanding, like it's so hard for us to explain simply why animal assisted therapy works, which is why Ash is saying like, oh, I don't know, like she just, it's great. It's just great. (laughs) It's so hard to really um, put that into words simply. It's a, it's a whole thing. Um, but you can do more harm than good. So, you know, particularly in these spaces where people are vulnerable, you know, as just a counsellor, like people are coming in there and, and they're vulnerable and they're making themselves more vulnerable. And if Ash is incorporating, you know, a therapeutic modality that she doesn't understand, then there's every chance that that could go wrong. And that's exactly what animal assisted therapy is. So that's why we talk about, you know, guys, like try and try and get educated. There's plenty of opportunity. You don't have to just train with us. There's plenty of places now that people can do some animal assisted therapy training. It's also about the problem solving. You know, it's easy mm. to do all those things and things are going right. Yeah. But the, the real difference between training and not training is when everything goes wrong. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. And knowing how to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. What and is- also, sorry. Um, no, you're right. Not just okay. the clinical stuff that we're learning, but the time that I spent with Beanie to get her up to scratch mm. to be assessed, I spent so much time. Um, going over everything in all of these different environments and not only was that amazing for her understanding and building those tools but it was amazing for our relationship as well like we built a lot of trust in that time and there was a really big change between from the start to um, all of that training and then assessment so relying on that relationship and that trust as well I feel like was huge. That is a huge thing the relationship particularly with your dog as the Mm -hmm. handler. Yeah. And how do you think, Ash, like, how do you think your clients, do they, can they perceive that? Is that something that's come into the space with you? Yeah, because I would be nervous. Like I would be really quite anxious if I didn't feel like she was going to listen to what I was saying, or if I didn't feel like I could correct something within a split second. Um, Or if there was, God forbid, any actual real danger, you know, if like Mm -hmm. your dog wasn't safe to be around somebody for a specific reason or was going to be spooked at something like going through that assessment and knowing sort of clearing out those risks as as, um, well I guess checking those things through to be very sure that that's not going to be a problem also gave me so much confidence and yeah I mean I'm sure that any therapist has had a day where well probably many days that they can remember where they just felt more 
like on edge or tense or anxious or something like that got like terrible sleep or something um you know going through their own stuff um and that foundational energy that you're bringing to the session does change things so much so if there was any reason to not feel completely comfortable with myself the space and beanie then it just would not be very good work yeah like people pick up on that and that's like it's just such an important part of therapy isn't it Mm. oh yeah Yeah. absolutely that's cool to hear um that throughout the process of preparing your dog that you you know recognize that you're building that relationship because we do get people that have done the course and they sort of they get stressed during that time, you know, and they start coming back and like we offer post-course support and things like that, but they start coming back and kind of getting a little bit grumpy or a bit aggressive even with us because they're finding it hard. And I sort of go like, you know, like the, the activities that we set, they're not that hard and you don't have to do it perfectly. But what I'm a little bit concerned about is that you're not okay. So you know, and that your response to that is actually pointing the finger and um, getting all upset with me. So, you know, what, you're not ready. That's what that tells me. And so regardless of, you know, you could get five out of five on all your obedience assessments, but you're not ready. So I really try and encourage people when they are coming back and saying, because like, it's, you know, like it's, it is a lot of work. Like Ash said, like she dedicated a lot of time to it. But we, you know, we know that you need to do that. Like, here's another thing that like, see, Ash has figured it out, but like, I know (laughs) that you guys need to do that because you need to know that dog inside out. You need to have that predictability um, from the, of their behaviors. And you need to have that level of trust and leadership to be able to work safely with them, to be able to work effectively with them and for that dog to be able to feel safe um, and confident and adventurous and curious in that therapeutic environment, they need to have that relationship with you. So if you're already freaking out about, you know, getting the sit or the drop or, you know, a mat stay happening, we need to there's more there there's more there that we need to work on because it's a not that difficult and b it's a journey like we've removed things like really structured um due dates and stuff like we give people so much more time than like we used to back in the day it used to be like you know pretty like pretty fast-paced um but, you know, we've removed things like due dates and stuff like that so that people can just enjoy the journey. And I think it's so cool when we find people like Ash um, who have taken that on board and have really made the most of it. And you can see the outcome is that she's working happily and confidently with a happy and settled dog that um, has been a benefit to her sessions. And, you know, I know that it's hard to know this when you're not living inside my head, but I do actually know, <laughs> I do actually know that you need to be, get to that point to be able to work effectively with your dog and for your dog to be able to be safe working with you. That's mm. why we uh, ask people to, yeah, keep working on it. Just keep working on it. There's a difference, Ash, between um, before you started 
um, when you, before Therapy Dogs Australia, um, the difference, what am I saying, is the difference <laughs> um, of the relationship with Beanie um, quite dramatic? Like when you, the before and after of Therapy Dogs Australia, what sort of changed or mm. um, what are the main things that stand out to you that improved your relationship with Beanie? I think we've always had that really lovely, like, you know, normal or like personal, you know, dog human relationship where um, she's always been a very happy dog um, and very well supported from a personal perspective. Um, I think it just really developed the professional relationship, I guess, and um, just these different strategies that are so conducive to um, the professional environment and to therapy. So I just, I think I would have had to be, I mean, she's always been like, a, you know, a good walker and stuff like that, but she's just like, so, I mean, I'm taking advantage of her like border collie <laughs> brain for sure. Like she's just so onto it with um, following me, like shadowing me here, which is also a safety thing, isn't it? Like, I know that I'm not worried about her, like being in a space that she shouldn't be in and all of that stuff. Um so just kind of these different things that I guess people wouldn't really need to put time into. Like, obviously, a lot of people really train their dogs regardless of using them in professional space, spaces, which is very cool. Um, but there wouldn't be that necessity to have these like, you know, like a 10 minute mat stay or, a you know, the really good sort of shadowing, um, just different things like that. Um, and also, I understand a lot more about her well-being too, which is obviously incredibly rewarding from a personal and professional space. Um, I don't know. It's just like such a fun time. I think I got so lucky with the timing of when I did it because I did do it just after finishing my master's coursework and before starting as a registered counsellor. There's that gap there where you've got to mm. like have your degree mailed to you and all that stuff. <laughs> um, so I, I got so lucky with the time that I was able to put in. I don't think that. I think for a lot of people it would be way harder mm -hmm. um, to pull that off or it might take a bit longer, um, which would be a good thing to cover your bases in that way. But I just have such fond memories of that, that time that we spent together. And so I guess it's pretty hard to pull apart the professional and the personal. But, um, yeah, definitely those, like, really functional skills that built up my trust in her and probably her trust in me as well. Like, she mm. knows that I'm always going to – I know what to do in different environments because. I've been trained, you know, so I can't have her with me in all of these other random public spaces and mm. be really comfortable. Mm. Yeah, well, that's a big standout, isn't it? The, the difference between personal and professional is noticeable, I think, as well for clients. Um, mm. But that, that's something maybe that people don't think about when they're going, oh, well, I'm going to have, you know, my dog with me in a session. It mm -hmm. is, there's all those little details that, um, yeah, set apart the professional versus the personal relationship with the dog as well. I'm interested as well, Ash, to know um, when you started working with Beanie, how, like, have there been times during, like, your time with her in people sessions and just in the workplace and stuff like that, that you have gone, oh, we talked about this in the course. Like, have there been times where you've gone like, oh, that's something that I learned about. Oh, like, oh, that's, oh, it's happening. That mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like, is this, is the course like, are we hitting those markers, do you think, 
that mm. real life stuff. Yeah, I think a, a bit of it is kind of what you touched on before, Sam, when you were talking about how you do this stuff for a little while and becomes like this, you're like, which toolkit am I? <laughs> like, you know, it's all like quite like blending together and things. But um, yeah, definitely. Um, there's, yeah, there's those, those things, sort of like textbook things that come to mind. And, but there's also the practical stuff of spending that time using your methods to teach her to like drop or something. Mm-hmm. There's been times where she might be, I don't know if this is a general thing or a beaming thing. Sometimes she just gets a little bit like, she just kind of wanders around. And it's like, she doesn't really mm. know where to be. Yeah. Um, yep. And so using that skill of um, making, well, like with the mat training, you can essentially make any space their comfort space and their yeah. um, secure. Oh, I just, I love that so much. So that skill of like, this is your space to rest right now. Um has saved me so many times when she could have just sort of been walking around and like there's definitely like it's fine she'll she'll spend a couple of minutes walking around sometimes in sessions which has never been a problem it's quite entertaining sometimes to see (laughs) considering when she wants to lay down but um I just yeah if if we didn't have that training I mean across the board there would be so many things that I would be really nervous about but um it's just so good to rely on the fact that I can ground her at any time because mm. I spend so much less time you know, handling her, I guess. Like I just feel like there would be so much more time out of every client's hour of yeah. me just trying to settle her rather than, you know, we've got that skill from all of this training and all that time um, working on it where she's just like, oh, yeah, cool, this is my spot. I'm going to hang here and I'm really happy and comfortable. So, yeah. Cool. I And like on the other side of that, is there anything that you think um, that has popped up or I know what you're saying, like, you know, once you get into the field, you're sort of picking up information from everywhere and it all becomes kind of like just your knowledge base. But I really want the courses to help people feel confident and ready to go into the workplace. And I want to prepare people and their dogs for, um, you know, whether it's an unexpected event or um, things that we find pop up a lot like that. So it's actually an expected event. Like I talk in the courses about collar grabbing um, because I've had kids grab my dog's collars like so many times, Um, things like that. But is there anything that you think that you've come up against in the last year that surprised you or like that we didn't cover that we could, you know, start warning people about or preparing the dogs for like has there been anything that you thought like oh this would actually be really useful for others to know about that's a really good question um I feel like I don't I'm like not well enough positioned to answer it because I feel like the stuff that Beanie and I want to improve on is probably right there in the course you know like it's definitely in there it's just that we need to do even more of that training you know and put more time into different skills so what would be those skills like what are the things that you would um suggest that others who are training now um or in the future like what should what do you think are the skills that they should like just just take it they take this part seriously and really put some time into this um something that we are working on always and that I probably will have more questions for you about at some point Sam is um I guess she's a medium-sized dog. She's like just over 20 kilos and um, she will jump up on adults 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting. Like I remember being really nervous about her ever being around like little humans, you know, like kids and toddlers and stuff. She has this natural, like it's just never been, I'm always like very on she's edge super gentle she with them. is just in case, but she's so gentle yeah. and she just does that naturally, which is thank God. Right. Yeah. Um, but we like my, my partner, my clients, like she gets reinforced for that all the time. Like they're always like, Oh, this is so nice. It's mm. a hug, you know, like, and so as much as we're working really hard on, you know, I, I'll do the like stepping on the, um, her lead thing to keep her not able to jump up and stuff like that. And maybe we need to do more of that. Now that I'm saying it, I'm like, that's the thing that <laughs> we need to do more. Of. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like it's, I think it's just hard when there's, where there's these things that are a lot of people really enjoy. And again, probably from that personal sense that you just have to sort of try and have better boundaries with, within the professional side. And yeah. Yeah. So she definitely gets reinforced with that where people are like, Oh no, it's fine. I'm such a dog person. I love this. And I'm, I'm like, I know you're all dog people and you all enjoy this. But I'm like, what about that one person who's not like, who is a dog person, but just doesn't want to be, you know, have a dog's paws up on there, you know, it's a really <laughs> good, or something. it's a really good question because what it, what, what does happen then? Like what has, has that happened? Has she jumped up on someone who hasn't appreciated it? Well, I mean, I don't work in spaces where more vulnerable people are coming through, but we would need to take that very, very seriously if we were going to transition to a different space where, for example, there was um, lots of pregnant people or um, people with wounds or something. Like we wouldn't be up to scratch for that sort of environment right now, you know, so we would have to be like full on with the training around that and really um, reinforcing that. So yeah, just those things, right, where you're just trying to make it as safe as possible. It's funny you say that, Ash, because I've got a seven-month groodle, seven-month-old groodle, and it's the same thing where he just loves people. And just from a personal perspective, um, it's the same thing where he gets reinforced. He jumps up um, and people go, oh, it's fine, you know, and they grab his paws and I'm going, well, actually, he's got to learn and trying to get him into sit. But it's it's the exact same thing where people are reinforcing it. He's getting reinforced because people love it, but it's just that one person that I'm always thinking about. He's only halfway through his growth um, spurt as well. So, so this is the mm. thing to consider, ladies. It is important to note, is your dog jumping on people who don't want to be jumped on? Because if mm. they are not doing that, then you might find that those people have invited your dog to jump on them. So keep an eye on it and observe it Mm. because it might be the case that your dog's only jumping on people who want to be jumped on and they actually aren't jumping on people who don't want to be jumped on. So watch the interactions become little detectives and be very observant Mm. on the interactions and see if you can catch those um, cues. Uh, What are those people doing that's inviting your dog up uh, Mm -hmm. so that you can start to piece the puzzle together of, so Beanie knows that if you gaze into her eyes lovingly and speak in a high tone, that means that you are DTC down to cuddle 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Maxine got there. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> So it's actually a part of a therapy dog's job to have that intuition. Mm. So we want Beanie to know who those people are and we want to know if she or does she already know who those people are that don't want the dog to jump. So the people that don't want the dog to jump will often give off those body language cues and you need to pick those up um, and you need to be able to pick up the cues from the people who are DTC. So mm. if you can do that, then you can support Beanie in by not, don't interrupt if the person wants that interaction, because I find they really, they just find it, the person just finds it so rewarding. And I know what it's like. So Oliver, my border collie, um, is like that, but he, it's very, he really only jumps on people that he's very, very close to. Um, Anyway, he does. It's very hard to get him to jump on clients, actually. So, but I know the clients really want him to because he's very, very soft when he does it. And he's a 20 kilo border Aww. collie. He's very, very soft and gentle. And it's this very, very, um, it's actually a very nice experience having mm. him on you. And I use the word cuddle, but I, you know, we don't really correct him for jumping on people because he's got about four people that he jumps on. And they know how to, if they don't want him to jump on them, they know how to get him to not do that. But the kids that I work with really, really want to, they ask him to cuddle. So they really, really want him to jump on them. So um, whenever it's something like that, just we, we, when we have a therapy, an actual therapy dog, we want to see if they are, do they have intuition? Do they have that sense? Um, and what is it that they're picking up on? So what is it that, that those humans are doing? that may be um, subconsciously, you know, or subtly inviting Beanie up. Um, and our ultimate goal is that if I can see that this person doesn't want this behaviour to happen, can I then stop it from happening? Um, and if I can, then I don't worry about the dog initiating it in those other um, situations where it's, it's they're saying, the person's saying that it's welcomed. It's a little bit um, left of centre of what, um, you know, quote unquote therapy dog training is about. Like, you know, there are lots of codes and things like that that are like they must not jump. But when you're really working, you're actually working in the field of animal assisted therapy and you are actually watching the human animal bond develop in this really natural, organic initiation and reciprocation between your dog and your client and you're physically in the room and watching and experiencing and using all of your clinical skills to observe and make good judgments about whether or not this interaction is helpful or harmful. I can tell you right now, <laughs> there's plenty of times that when dogs jump up on someone that wants them to do it, if you were to interrupt that um, or stop it from happening, you would be rupturing the rapport mm. and you would be dampening the human animal bond. And that works against mm. everything that we're trying to achieve and everything that, you know, that animal assisted therapy is, you're dampening all of that and you're slowing the process down. So there does have to be this level of trust that we can have in our dogs as long as they have earned it. So I'm not, so notice I'm not saying to Ash, don't worry about it. I'm saying, watch her, observe it, 
observe the human, observe the dog and try and piece together the puzzle. Um, because I dare say that Beanie has actually got some intuition and she's figured it out. Um, because notice when I said, well, is she, is she jumping on people that don't like it? And Ash is like, oh, hmm, like she can't really think of a time that that's happened. Well, that tells me, I actually know that every single human being doesn't want to be jumped on by a dog. So that tells me that the dog is not jumping on every single human being. So she must be choosing mm. which humans she's jumping on. And those yeah. humans must be giving her some advice about whether or not they will invite that. And I would say that she's listening to that and she's actually got some pretty good therapy dog intuition. Mm. Does that there answer you your go. question? That's great. <laughs> More well, questions yeah, than the answer. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what a bonus for me. I love this. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think like, as you're talking about that, Sam, I'm just reflecting on the last year and I think that she's really developed that, um, that sense that you're talking about, that instinct of like who is up for this and who's not. Yeah, for sure. And even like this sounds a little weird, but if she's ever been like out in the yard and a little dirty and I decided to put on like white, pants or something like and I'm giving off those signals yes. of like no like she's quite on top of it and I'm yep. you know obviously she's going to get both from me so it's really interesting um yeah that makes a lot of and some little management tips as well like so if you're in this situation and you can see so like Nala has her little routine I think I've talked about before she jumps up on the couch and like tries to put what are the rank disgusting dog toys she's mm. got in the client's <laughs> mouth. <laughs> Take it. She, she doesn't understand that we have hands because she doesn't have hands. Like, she doesn't really have theory of mind. <laughs> and she's like, just that's her. And I've let her do it since she was a baby because the clients froth on it, mate. They love it. So mm. she climbs up, mm. she jumps up, and she tries to put it in the mouth and they don't take they don't take it in their mouth. So she's like, <laughs> what? So she climbs along the back of the couch uh, behind them and they're like, then they're like wearing her like a scarf. She's a 21-kilo, two-and-a-half-year-old Labrador. <laughs> and she's like on the back of the couch and they're like, what's she doing? But she comes back around from the other side and then tries to put the toy back in their mouth from the oh other my side. <laughs> and depending on the client and how it's going or whatever, I'll either say she thinks – that you need to use your mouth with the toy or like, you know, sometimes I just let it play out and see like, what does the client think is happening? Mm. But always she like, either they'll start to like play with the toy with her and she's like, yes. Or mm. she just slides down the couch <laughs> and like gradually like an avalanche. She's like back on the ground, but her back legs, she always leaves them on the couch because she's like, what legs? Like, <laughs> what legs do I have? Here I am on the ground. And the clients think it's oh, that's so entertaining. It's so yeah. funny. And she does it very consistently at the beginning of 95% of the of sessions that we have. It doesn't matter if it's <laughs> the first time she's met you or if she's met you 50 times. She's like, lol, this is how you play with the toy and she's just must be like oh these humans they don't get it like they don't know how to play but I must train them the I'll try and train them so I know which clients don't want her to do that she she does not really have that intuition she will like she'll hedge her bet say she says that you miss all of the shots you don't take so <laughs> 
she's like, listen, I'm rolling the dice. <laughs> so she really needs me to help her um, be like, babe, like, <laughs> I don't think this parent is like that DTC. So I think maybe we just like save it for the kid. Cause like the parent, sometimes I talk to the parent before the kid comes in. And so I'm like, and they'll be like in their work clothes or whatever. And I'm like, uh, like some of the parents, like a lot of my, most of my parents, most people, I've probably got like five clients that I would yeah. ask her not to do that. And, um, because she's so well-trained, I just use my tone of voice. Um, and she knows. And so she'll sort of look at me and I look at her and go, you know, good girl. And she's like, oh, mm. damn. And she'll go, oh, she'll go and do something else. But if you're not at that point where, like, she's so predictable, she makes it easy for me, so you, you know. But if you're not at that point where you can predict it that well or if, you know, her listening, she is incredibly compliant. So, you know, her listening skills are fantastic. Um, and she she's very, very compliant with anything I ask her to do. So, if you're not at that stage though, so my job when the client comes into the room is to largely ignore my dog because mm -hmm. I don't want to take all the pats and play. Um, I want her to give the pats and play to the other person in the room because that's where the bond needs to build. So if I was concerned that I wasn't going to be able to stop her from doing this thing, when we come into the room, I would start talking to her straight away. So I would be like, hey, Nala, you know, do you want to go and find a toy? And, you know, I would just be really natural about it, but I would start talking to her and giving her eye contact. If I started doing that when a client came into the room, that would distract her from that client mm. and it would put her focus back onto me. And from there, um, I would ask her either to be in a drop um, probably beside me where I can um, keep an eye on her or I'd pop her on the mat um, and just do a mat, little mat stay for her. And that would be enough to interrupt her routine that she would go like, oh, because she only ever does it at the beginning of the session. She never, ever does it at any other time. So that would be enough to manage that. So if you've got a situation where you can see like, oh, this person probably doesn't want the dog to jump on them or whatever, you can manage it by giving the dog your attention. Uh, and most of the time, the dog will often preference the handler over the client. That's why we have to ignore them at the beginning of these sessions <laughs> so that they don't just totally ignore the client. Um, so yeah, just give them your attention, talk to them. Um, and if you can just give them a job to do like a mat stay or something like that, and then, um, you know, you're going to avoid that, but being aware that you don't, if it is the the actual client, not like the parent of the client, you don't want to completely rupture the opportunity for the dog to be with them and interacting with them. Um, so if jumping up is the is the problem, usually dogs do that right at the beginning when they're excited. So oh, if we yeah, just that's true. Yeah, we just get through that first part um, mm -hmm. and distract them through that first part, and then I might even say like do you mind if Beanie sits next to the couch with you? She just loves sitting on the couch and the client will always say, oh my gosh, of course. And then I'll just pop the dog up on the couch and give them a little bit of a, you just drop here. And, you know, a little bit of a cue that this is where you're going to be lying down. You'll probably find that there's like, why would she jump on them in the middle of a session? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. not, it's, it's one of those things that in this type of environment, if you're in a school or something like that, it's a lot more difficult because you're having, a lot more energy going on all the time and we'd have to be a little bit more um we'd have to do things a bit differently but in, if you're in a setting like what ash is in then you can certainly manage it that way mm.
Yeah. Yeah. I think when she was younger, it was more time at the start of the session and now it's just sort of cutting down, which is lovely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When they're little and people play with them and they just, yeah, get excited and jump. Yeah. That's where Dougie, Dougie's at at the moment. I mean, he's only seven months old. Yeah. But he does, he does try his best to listen as best he can. (laughs) Fun time. He's doing well. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> very good, well, ladies. That's, mm, well, that's very interesting. Thank you, Sam. I feel like there was a little <laughs> dog training <laughs> side tip there. It's a it's, it's all session. important part of your handling as an animal assisted handler to be able to manage that without. So, what we're trying to like the the cute clues that are in there about don't rupture the bond, you know. And the dogs gotta have you gotta give them space to do their job too. So mm-hmm. let's just find out first: are they doing their job? And if we need to help them, how can we help them with management strategies so that we're not rupturing relationship and you know restricting their access to the client and things like that? It's so different to like if you're just a training a pet dog, you just correct it or you know whatever you whichever way you choose to manage it. But when you're, um, you know, in the workplace and this dog is working as a therapy dog, then there are definitely um, specific strategies that I would recommend, like the ones we just discussed. Hmm. Have there any? Have there been Ash any um, any moments that Beanie has surprised you? I know we've definitely touched on a few things, but any come to mind where she did have? certain intuition um or yeah moments where you just went oh go beanie nice work oh my gosh yes so many literally I'm like I my job is so easy I don't even I don't have to (laughs) I don't regulate anyone just leave the room (laughs) (laughs) I'll be back in an hour guys gonna teach beanie how to use the fpos machine and we're sweet Yeah, I'm at the point, like, I mean, feedback is incredibly important to me. And so I'll be sending people um, surveys to check in about if there's anything we need to adjust. And all it's all just like, I love Beanie. It's a, <laughs> I just want more time with Beanie, you know, it's like nothing. Um, Amazing. But um, she doesn't do this 100% of the time. Like, she's definitely not a perfect dog and she spends a lot of time sleeping. But um, she's so good at picking up those. I mean, they're just so in tune with emotional stuff. Hey, like it's not something that I that we teach them, right? That's the dog thing that they have or they don't have. And then um, just those moments where, yeah, someone's really, really upset and maybe they'll like start crying or that there's just a lot, you know, their breathing changes or something. And she can be so attentive to those little things um, and yeah, she'll go up and put her head on their lap or like put her head on their feet or something. Like it's just so sweet. And so for them to just feel so held in those moments um, and to have that, you know, to have her there to help regulate and just get through those really tough moments is so incredible, especially with all the stuff that we know about how important that environment and that safety is. So it's just it just all really makes sense, doesn't it? It clicks in together mm-hmm. so beautifully. Mm-hmm. It really does. It really what about does. you, Sam? With my dogs. So yeah. mine are a little bit, uh, so like Oliver, my border collie, is far more in tune 
than my Labradors. Um, my labs are a bit more sort of, are you playing with me or am I just sleeping? So <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty good at, um, you know, if someone like reciprocates their invitation to play, they're pretty good with that. Um, but they're also really good at like, if someone's not, doesn't want to play with them, they're really good at, you know, just that's fine. They can just still be, in, they just relax in this space, which I think is super important that they don't just keep hassling them mm. to play, but it does mean like, so it means also my social skills interventions, like some of my kids, they don't understand quite like at what initiation of play is. And they, so they don't reciprocate when the dogs do initiate. And then, then the dogs just exit stage left and go on, go to sleep. So it uh, creates a cool scenario for me to go like, did you, did you notice that Nala asked you to play? Because then they'll be like, why isn't the dog playing with me? It's actually because they didn't reciprocate when she asked them to play. Um, so she thinks that they don't want to play with her. Um, wow. But I was just thinking about, because I was just looking out the window at all my horses, um, and I, I'm working at the moment with um, a young person with one of my horses, and I am involving a horse trainer in the sessions as well um, because we're working through a bit of a um, – we're breaking a horse in basically with a client, um, a very, very disadvantaged at risk young person. So um, I was speaking to the horse trainer, obviously, because we obviously need to, you know, come up with a plan for the sessions and stuff like that. And I was giving her some feedback about some of the stuff that she was sharing about, you know, the horse training side of things in the previous session. And she, she was like, Oh, wow. Like, it's, you don't realize like, it's so connected, like, like the way that horses are learning and like the way that, cause I was saying like, you know, when you said this, this is really useful for that client because of this. And so, you know, like her job basically at the moment is guiding us through. So I'm not experienced enough to take a client through breaking in a horse. Um, so she's guiding us through that stuff, but she's so like, she's explaining how the horse is learning and what the horse is experiencing and stuff like that. And then I'm using those as metaphors, you know, to help that young person understand those things that they're learning and those things that they're going through and oh, stuff wow. like that. Wow. So it's this really like cool dynamic um, of these like sort of metaphors that are, that are playing out. And she was like, yesterday she was like, oh, it's like, it's so cool how it's like there's all this crossover and I'm like yeah like that's why we're doing it's amazing that's what animals as a therapy is like that's what mm -hmm. we're literally what we're doing what we're working on so like this um horse that I've chosen like I just happen to have this horse and I just happen to have this client and they just happen to be the right fit I don't know if I could have ever orchestrated something like this by design but it just happened about and um this horse we one of the strategies that we use to get them um, feeling brave around some of the equipment um, that we're going to start touching them with and stuff is we get them to chase, you move away from them with it. And so the horse, because he's curious, is he's young. So he's walking towards it. And as he's coming towards it, they feel brave because that thing is like moving away from them, right? So it makes them feel brave. Mm. So we've got the saddle pad and you're moving away and the horse feels brave because they're like chasing. But we've discovered that the horse uh, likes to hunt things now. So he really enjoyed that game. 
Aww. um and but l- like now he's started hunting us so <laughs> so he's um he's developed this like he so now when you're walking him if you're in front of him he starts to like chase and he bit the trainer on the back last session <laughs> Which was hilarious because, like, just nipped her. It was hilarious because I was like, he's going to bite you. Like, because I was watching mm. any bit. Of, and the client thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. The client, oh, yeah. The client's got a very, um, he's a teenage boy. He's got a very violent, aggressive tendencies himself. So to see, like, that this behavior sort of played out and, and a sort of thing, like, it's become so useful because now we're like, okay, so now we know we've taught him this game and he really likes it. And we like that he likes it because he's feeling confident and he's feeling brave and we're going to want those skills in him when he's under saddle. So we're going to want him to, to feel, he might be a great mustering. He might be a good cow horse or he might be good at some of the games, um, the ridden games where you chase balls and stuff. So we want to keep this trait, this confidence that he has, but we do want him to understand that he can't bite people. And he can't <laughs> hunt people. <laughs> So we're boundaries. working on, <laughs> you know, at, like attending and, you know, making sure that we're doing, we're now we're doing our personal space boundaries and we're talking about, um, you know, making sure that he understands that it's just a behavior. Like it's not, it's not that this is a bad horse and we're going to bush it. Like that's not mm. bad. It's, it's a behavior and it's a behavior that worked for him because it made him feel good about the mm. saddle pad. But mm. we need to understand that it's that's not for humans, that's for games, and we'll let you know when we're playing that game sort of thing. So the metaphors and the things that are coming around about that, they're so rich around, um, you know, behaviour and, you know, separating behaviour from you and, uh, yeah. you know, setting boundaries and, you know, personal space boundaries and things like that. And because this horse is so beautiful and safe and things like that, you know, this young person is working on holding the lead. And if he comes, if he's coming into your space, you move him back out of your space and things like that. And it's like that horse in particular is like what we're saying about the dogs, like that um, intuition and stuff like that. They just, he's very connected, very, very connected to this young person. Um, and it's become a real theme of the, like they're both a little bit naughty. So it's a real theme yeah. that we've got going on. <laughs> they're in cahoots that's with each beautiful. other. Oh, yeah. Very beautiful. And so that, uh, there's a lot of human animal bond that's developed there. And it might sound like, oh, you know, cool. But this is a young person that really can't, go anywhere or do anything else because they're not welcome or they don't they refuse to go or you know things like that so it's a pretty important thing that we're able to have this relationship because that's what's keeping him coming to his sessions and it was a very important thing that I was able to involve another human being being the horse trainer in the sessions because that's where things could have gone pear-shaped as well um but because of the relationship that i'd already built with the young person with the horse so i'd already started out like the really easy stuff with the young person and the horse and then i was like i think we could take this further so let's get let's like do this for real so um when like that relationship that he already had with the horse that relationship and the buffer there is what allowed the next human in does that make sense so he hasn't had any and this is a 
very, very challenging behavior young person. We haven't had any challenging behavior towards this new human being who's now here. Wow. That's like never happened before. Like, but it's because of this relationship that, you know, and also she's, uh, her and I are very similar um, style as well of a human being, but also trainer um, in that we're very centered around like, what is the animal's experience of this and how can we, you know, make sure we're challenging this animal, but you know, they're learning, but we're supporting them through that process of learning as much as possible. And he's learning about the body language and all these things. And so the other thing is this horse um, is stoic. So he pretends that everything's fine, um, but he just lets, he's catatonic basically. So he just lets things pile up and then he'll eventually get upset, which I learned by myself with him when I put a rug on him for the first time and he nearly died. So <laughs> I was oh. like, oh, okay, you're like pretending to be cool. But we like know that with this horse now, right? So um, right at the be- beginning of the session to, that I had this morning, um, I sent the kid in to go and get him out of the yard. He's got to, you know, get him involved. And um, the horse was like, oh, I'm really busy. And just like took a drink of water. Like when he went in there, I'm like, we're making a joke of like how he's like, oh, he's so busy. Like he can't come out and get work because he's really very busy. <laughs> so so much going on. So much yeah. going on. I'm just like, I'm drink this whole bucket of water, you know. It's and a really so busy schedule. One of the things that horses will do is they'll do that. But like if they get tense, they'll like hold <gasps> they like hold their breath sort of thing. And they just sort of tense. So he's holding the water in his mouth and like me and the trainer, like we know he's doing it because, you know, we've seen stuff like that before, but so we walk out and we're like making these jokes about how busy he is and he's got to drink his water and this stuff. And I said, he's going to, he's going to spit all that out. So just you watch out because this kid's averse to like that sort of thing. I see he's going to, he's just hanging on to it. He wasn't even thirsty. He's just hanging on to all that water <laughs> in his mouth. He's just going to spit it out. And it took a good couple of minutes and he's like dribbling a little bit. This kid's like, Bleh! and then eventually after a couple of minutes, um, he let all the water out of his mouth, he just like dropped it all on the ground. But during that time we had started talking about like one of the things and what we already know about this horse is that he pretends he's cool. He pretends everything's cool, but he actually is a bit more, he is a bit more anxious than what he lets on. He is a bit more tightly wound than what he lets on. Um, and we had talked about, you know, they, they tense everything up. And so they will, and we'll know that he's relaxed because he'll drop the water and then he dropped the water. And so it's like this really cool yeah. visual thing of like, that's like, we just walked into the round yard and we're just wait, like just chatting and waiting and, you know, that sort of stuff. And then he eventually drops the water and it just really builds this like visual thing. And like, you know, the metaphor is building and building every session around you know the stoicness that this horse has which is what this young person has too is i'm ever i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine but you're not fine and neither of you are fine <laughs> and we need to scaffold things and um if we didn't know like about these you know certain behaviors and things that horses do and stuff like that we didn't like, we're waiting. I'm actually just waiting for him to drop the water because I know he's holding it in his mouth, you know, like, so wow. and we, we know that we need to just be quiet and wait and that's okay. And, you know, we, when he starts to regulate himself and cause we're regulated and then he's co-regulating off of that. It's so cool for a, uh, you know, challenging young person who won't, he's very difficult to engage in any other type of therapy. 
um, without. Wow. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that kind of thing, like it's very, very cool. And it, it's knowing your animals too and knowing like, um, you know, I've involved obviously a more experienced horse person um, to help us on this, you know, process as well um, to really make the most of it. And it's not the type of thing that, you know, every client needs obviously or that you any you know, it's pretty hard situation to provide. Like that's a, that's a fresh out of the wild six month Brumby. Like it's, you know, you don't come across as opportunities that often, but when you do like knowing, um, knowing how to make the most of these types of scenarios with it, as they do come about, like, it's pretty cool when you get experienced enough to go like, Oh, wow. Like, I think that, I think this is something that we could really do here. And that, that horse and that kid are very connected. And I see a lot of, intuition happening with that horse and he does lots of really funny things like the trainer was asking him to um like trying to send him out in a circle on a direction he doesn't like to go and he like just runs straight over to the young person (laughs) (laughs) he does stuff like that (laughs) we're like oh "Oh, you too you know like He's a weird, it's very cute. Like the horse is very, wow. it's very, it's a bit special really. So, yes. So special. It is so special. But when you get opportunities like that, which they come about from time to time, you know, we've also got to consider what we're going to do um, if and when that relationship needs to change or uh, come to an end or things like that. It's a pretty, it's a pretty big scenario to be in, Um you know, like if a young person, especially that's so difficult to work with, like that young person is, um, it's pretty challenging, but he's been on my books for seven years. So we've built a fair bit of consistency and trust in the the therapeutic relationship. Um, so I'm hoping that we can piggyback off of that and we can allow ourselves to feel vulnerable in this new relationship with this horse. So that's amazing. Yes, that's a whole other podcast is what mm. to do. What do we oh do now that we've got this yeah. um, connection really happening? And that's is that something that you've considered and thought about as well, Ash, because yeah. you're talking about, you know, your clients are like feeling very connected to your dog and it's like, what now? Oh, I can't even, I can barely bear when she's got like a vet appointment that day. <laughs> she can't come in. That's already like really sad sometimes. Um, yeah. I mean, for personal reasons, I can't let myself really think about like if anything was to happen to her because I'll oh, just have my own, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, that is such a thing, though. I, I, I'm grateful I haven't really had to contend with it yet, and I imagine that you would have to think through a lot of it um, and do a lot of. I mean, if you were able to do a lot of like intentional um, time before that was changing, yeah. Yeah, so, like, if you're thinking about coming to the end of, like, a treatment block or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing, Um, which in counselling is probably a little bit different to psychology. And the psychology space has changed a little bit lately anyway where people have got more mental health care plan sessions, but traditionally people have got 10 Medicare rebates to use in a year and at the end of that 10 is when they would usually disengage um, so they don't have to pay full fee. And then we're looking at like what relationship has built in that time and have how are we preparing for that to um, come to an end or people that work in government type settings and they've got um, like timed 
time limits and stuff. Like I'm in private practice and so are you, Ash. So like the client can make more of those decisions about when they're going to need less of both of you Mm -hmm. um, and sort of taper off. But yeah, like obviously, you know, there can be unforeseen circumstances where we, um, you know, can't have animals, the animal around anymore. Mm. Yeah. Whole nother podcast. I was just about to say <laughs> whole other breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like I, I think um counseling definitely is a lot more relaxed in a, a few ways, which I'm grateful for because you've got to be very, very across things. I mean, always in growth. But um yeah, it's more there. I guess there's sort of more of that like, oh well, y- you can come back if you need to, you know, so yeah. less of the like big goodbye yeah yeah Yeah. yes I'm conscious I'm conscious we don't want to keep you too much longer Ash but I did want to just quickly ask as well is there anything for those listening who might be um, studying at the moment with Therapy Dogs Australia or training their dog or um, studying counselling or psychology uh, is there anything that you have now learnt with the experience that you've got um, with Beanie. Is there anything that you you didn't realise was going to be so important um, when you were training Beanie that now comes into play in your everyday um, practice with your clients? Or is there anything that um, you came out and now you're you're working and you've gone, oh, wow, like I didn't realise how much um, this was going to be involved in my practice or is there anything like that that you can think of that um yeah people studying might be interested in I think I'm a bit of a broken record talking about this but it really is just a huge thing for me where um when I was studying I mean they did educate us a lot about like you know the environment the relationship safety rapport all of that stuff that was such a huge part of um my degree Um, but I think as a new counselor, like through my year of placement and then like in my early practicing months, um, and with that imposter syndrome that like probably doesn't go away would love that. But, um, (laughs) like in those early stages, I was so focused on the modalities and like the textbook stuff, you know, and like, um, going through things like as they've been researched and taught and just really relying on the, all of that industry behind me um and obviously like as I've gone through there's more of that intuition and more instinct and more like blending things together and stuff but um just the the biggest thing I just feel is the environment and the relationship and I guess they couldn't have really just taught us that through a lecture on you know within the degree so I guess it makes sense that I've learned that so much through practice and I've seen people and their, their body language and their, um, the way that they're able to work through something or, you know, just all of these different things. Like I've just spent so much time with Beanie in this space now that um, I can just see the difference so clearly. And, yeah, so I guess like that environment relationship stuff that it's just cracked through um, adding so much humanness to the interaction um, it's just really surprised me. And yeah, it's just, it's also interwoven. Like, I feel like I can't pull it apart because you don't get that if you are going into that room feeling anxious about what the dog's going to do, or if you don't really know what to do 
you know, you don't get that, you'd be on edge. So it's just all of these different things. And, but yeah, um, it's just so important um, and changes so much of the, the feeling in the room. I think you obviously, like, I have spent time counselling without Beanie as well, like just on, you know, some days where she couldn't come in or through my placement and things like that. Um, and you can build this obviously like it would be pretty awful wouldn't it if like no no human could build that rapport in that environment and stuff unless of they had course. a therapy dog we'd have to like it'd yeah. <laughs> be a lot less on offer I guess <laughs> um but I just feel like it adds such a quality to it that a human could not bring obviously and also on another note I, it feels like it really just speeds it up so much to kind of starts happening a lot sooner than mm. in times where there's been no dog involved mm. Absolutely. Agree, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Yes. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ash, no for pleasure. chatting with us this morning. Yes. Thank you for your time, lovely Ash, and your lovely insights. It's always good to speak stuff, to you. So. <laughs> good. We might have to get you back again. We'll, like, yeah, <laughs> start deep diving into some of those other Oh, we were like, touching on some good topics. We've created some real mess for ourselves here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm not going to be able to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get that picture of um, the horse letting the water out of his mouth out of my head anytime soon. I think that's just such a beautiful <laughs> metaphor for like feeling safe, right? Like how beautiful. Like I might to hear more about that and your other. Yeah. Episodes. Oh yeah. And funny because he's like it was like escaping by, by dribble without him letting it go. And so I'm like, <laughs> I know it's in there. It's in like, there. Such a metaphor. <laughs> and so cool as well. Actually I'll just quickly touch on the fact that both myself who owns the horse and the trainer who knows this horse but also knows horses was able to communicate to the young person this is the behavior that we're going to see da, 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 da. that's really cool modeling as well. That's not to be, um, you know, underestimated that for that young person who has a connection with this horse, I know that they've got a connection. Sometimes they just lose themselves with each other and they just stand together for minutes and minutes and I just mm. leave them. Um, so for that young person to know that we know and understand his favorite horse so well and we are knowing and understanding how to support his new little best friend so well and teaching him how to do that that's a lot to say for all of that modeling and things that are happening as well so when i say to you that well, the way that you interact with your dogs in your sessions they are watching mm. you they're watching mm. that and that's why we won't send dogs and handlers into sessions that aren't ready because your client is watching you and they're learning so much from that and like you've heard ash talking about the clients love the dog they love that dog so if they think that if they get some idea in their mind like if i had to just rush through, rush through things first of all i'm not wouldn't be taking every opportunity that pops up because you don't know the dog well enough and you're not as you know like ash has talked about like being that grounded and settled and having that confidence you're not going to get as much as many opportunities to do as much like if i don't know that horse is going to do that sort of stuff then we can't use it but um the other thing is that you know if the the client the person that we're working with if they think that their little friend that they love is not being appropriately supported by you that's gonna be an issue 
that's going to be a real rupture. Um, and I would say quite damaging. So let's um, st- stay positive, but also mm-hmm. be aware that probably the positive way to finish that note is everyone who has put the work in and, you know, gotten to where the place where someone like Ash has gotten to in just a year, should be very proud of yourselves. And please know that there is more that is going on um, than probably you even realise um, that, you know, your work, your hard work really is paying off. And the more that we have these conversations, which is why we're doing this, the more that we have these mm-hmm. conversations and the more we break these things down, the more we learn about what we're doing and the more useful um, we can be and the more we can put our tools to use as well. And the better the outcomes, the better the rapport, the better the attachments are going to be. Um, so please be encouraged and everyone who's just starting their journey or is still on their journey or even if you're having a hard time, please be encouraged by this. Mm. Not discouraged. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. All right, ladies, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Sam. Legends. We'll chat again. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in studying with Therapy Dogs Australia or you have a few more questions before deciding, please get in touch with us by emailing courses at therapydog.com.au or visiting our website at www.therapydog.com.au for more information and FAQs.